I'm your host, Will Krebs, and this is the Under Pressure Outdoors Podcast. It's a peculiar time of year in the southeastern United States when late summer comes around. July 31st marks the beginning of deer season in southern Florida. Bucks have shed their velvet and the rut is in full swing. All while just a few short hours away in central Florida, bucks are still in bachelor groups with some horn growing left to do. Although it really doesn't feel like it, hunting season has begun for those brave enough to fight off the mosquitoes of the Everglades and the south Florida sun. Today we're sitting down with a return guest, and Florida native Jay Stone to talk about some of the more peculiar things there are to hunt in the Deep South and a little bit about how to get the job done. Everything from alligators to fall turkeys and a little bit of everything in between, all encompassed by the Weird South. Or Superior South. Superior. Superior South. Jay. Sounds I mean, better. Yeah. You, this be your third time on the show. Yeah, I feel like a regular at this point. You, you pretty much are. We had you on. We got to bring you around about every time turkeys come around because you're a turkey freak or fanatic or whatever you want to put it yeah freak but yeah fanatic (laughs) i I love hunting them i mean they're just they're just something i fell in love with you know and it's just one of them things i didn't need to do like jordan was saying last week i I got cursed with it you know once i started you know i just i couldn't help myself you know i'd rather shoot turkeys or hunt turkeys and deer or anything you know that's one of my biggest fears, I think, when it comes to turkey hunting, is that once I finally uh, shake off the stink I got on me and kill a turkey, look, now I've now I've got to go dump a bunch of money in that crap and buy another shotgun and all this other stuff just to hunt a dang bird. Well, it's I already did that, that with ducks. Yeah. yeah <laughs> oh, and by the way, every, the prodigal son, Matt, has returned. <laughs> well, <laughs> guys, I am back on... Um, well, I was getting at it. It was kind of like ducks for me and stuff like that. You know, I, I think that I'm a pretty big duck hunter and stuff, but at the end of the day, I still suck. Um, but, like, you're you're going to shake out the stank, and you're going to shoot your first. Or, no, you shot a turkey before. Right? No. No? Okay. Well, you're going to shoot your first turkey, and at the end of the day, you're going to dump a bunch of, money, bunch of money into it, and you're just going to wait for the next time they get lucky. You ain't going to get no better. You don't need another shotgun. I know I don't need another shotgun. Yes, uh, he does, Jim. But w- we're just talking about a way to make an excuse to to buy another firearm. Fair enough. Well, yeah. that's like all the so. shotguns we have at the house for shooting turkeys. And every time Ty digs in there, he don't get a vanilla out or anything. He gets an old Stoger over and under out, you know, with two full chokes in it, and goes to whacking. <laughs> he loves that thing, you know. I I would love to get some nicer shotguns, but I tell you what, I I, I shoot a dang. Uh, Man, what is that? It's the, the Viper TriStar Viper Max yeah. for ducks. The three and a half inch semi max gauge has not jammed yet, and I haven't cleaned it. Now, that being said, it is not a dove gun. I cannot shoot light loads out of it, but it'll cycle that three inch steel it'll, all day. <clears throat> well, long. it's the same thing with my Stogram thirty five hundred. Three three and a half inch, perfectly fine. Everything's fine. Three and a half inch for pigs, you know. Three inch for ducks, everything is fine. Going to shoot target loads or something else, garbage. Yeah, see, Briar's uh, thirty five hundred will cycle well, some light, some low breast. Three thousand. No, he's is got thirty five hundred. Is it thirty five hundred? Yep. 
Are those gas blowback hmm. operator? No, they're inertia driven. Okay. Yeah. Mine is gas operated, which I think is the half the reason it won't cycle the low stuff. Yeah, that's they. That's normally a problem with one of them. You know, the gas blowbacks. Yeah. The regular ones, they usually shoot low brass pretty good. So, as we just talked about here in the intro, we literally, the, today is August 1st, Sunday, August 1st, and deer season opened up yesterday, and you're already seeing uh, some photos pop up and some of the other hunting, Florida hunting groups of people smacking some nice bucks down in archery season in South Florida. I, e- even though I could really have the opportunity by putting in for draw permits to drive down there and archery hunt and all that, I have no desire. Nope. I was sweating my butt off trying to put that new mailbox in out in front of the house today. I have no desire to sit in a tree stand right now. Although it would be it would be something neat. It, it would be neat to do, I think, one year at least to sit and have to say, especially in Florida, to say I hunted from July to March. Because yep. Florida's Florida's just weird like that where you, you, you have, you know, zone A opens in July and zone D closes in, in March. I've always wanted to do that hunt. You know, the rut all the way up through Florida, into Georgia, over in Alabama, you know, just keep hunting the rut as we move forward. Yeah. Because, yeah. it, yeah, the rut is on right now in South mm-hmm. Florida. Yeah. Come bow season here in our in our zone, it'll, you know, the rut will be on. Which opens, what is that? It says up there on the calendar in front of you, Jay, September. It's, it's, but it's actually two weeks because Orange County, where, or Orange County and Lake County is divided into zone C and zone B. And then you got private land, which opens a week beforehand. Right. So it, yeah, private land will open here real quick. Yeah. So it'd be interesting. It's something else, but there's a whole lot of other stuff we can we can get into. Um, the first thing we're going to talk about that you really can't hunt in most states, uh, except mostly what Florida, Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, and Louisiana, Texas gators. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, man. You, Lake Eufaula. We were up there. Ty was fishing with Ethan Green here, not. I don't know what uh, two three weeks ago, and Ty being from Florida, he got off the boat and he's like, "Man, there's some big old gators on Lake Eufaula, but they don't they don't draw very many permits up there. You know, there are very few permits drawn up there. I'd like to. I've never gator hunted. I've had the opportunity to, just couldn't make the trip. But I like to gator hunt up there. You know, see what their tactics are and how they do it. You know, because we here in Florida, you know, well you you gator hunted with us, Will. We do it completely different than, you know, most people. You know, we don't bait them. We cast on them and hook them in the, in the daylight. I've seen everybody, in, people in Florida do everything from using the, like a deer lung or a cow lung with dowel rods. Uh, uh, if you do do the dowel rods, you can't do them two inches longer. Yeah, it, that's all in the details. Yeah. Well, the reason we don't do that is because if you if you get the gator, you can't release him. Right, that's it. Whatever yeah. you catch is what you it, catch. You got it. Yeah. I've seen them do the, the deer lung with the dowel rods. I've seen them do just straight harpoon at night. I've seen them do snagging at night. Um, but going out with you guys was the first time I've ever seen anybody make an effort to do it in the allowable daylight hours, which is we, you can start at 5 p.m. and you end at 10 a.m. Yeah, yeah, and we... Since it's been legalized here in Florida, you know, I've done it every way you can do it. I've harpooned them in South Florida, you know, on Lake Okeechobee and in the Gaverglades and all that stuff. But all the time we've spent doing it, we figured out 
that the time to hunt gators is in the daylight because you, especially in the morning, because the gators are in transition from feeding back to where they're going to lay up and you catch them coming back and forth, going, you know, to and fro. And the, you can see everything around you. You know, it, you're not hooking up on the bottom. You're not, it's just so much easier and it produces gators. So we quit hunting at night, you know, and I, I don't have to miss any sleep. Skeeters ain't bad, but for the thir- first 30 minutes you're on the water, you know, and it's just, for us, it's the way to do it. And I probably shouldn't tell everybody that because, you know, it, when we show up this year, it'll be, the water will be full of people, you know. But Yeah, but, yeah, but then if you get them going during the day, then you've got the entire nighttime to go do it because they all switch to daytime hunting. Mm-hmm. Well, We're I not, can tell you what, if you want to go during daytime, bring safety glasses. That's my biggest thing. Running the boat at nighttime, bring oh, you, safety glasses. Yeah, you want to go at night? Yeah, I like going at night. Just because it's a little more sleek. It's more like in the mood setting. I've killed my bigger gators in the middle of the night than I have during the day. But I only go during the night, really. Well, that that all that all comes back to the fact that it has been, for the longest time, only legal to hunt between 5 p.m. and 10 a.m. in Florida. So Correct. if you think about gator hunting in Florida, it if you have gator hunting in Florida, the first thing you're going to think about is, is being out there all night long. And it, that really, I mean, the first night, it's fun. Second night, it's still pretty fun. The fifth night, I don't want to do it anymore. Mm-mm. I'm yeah. tired. You go back far enough, I don't, I think the concession was getting it to five to ten because, if I'm not mistaken, the first year, the series that we were going out, I don't think you could go out until eight o'clock at night. Really? I think it was eight to eight or something. I think like it was that. like eight to eight. Yeah, and it was brutal because you, you'd everybody get out there, they'd be, on the water at seven o'clock or seven thirty, trying to eyeball an alligator. Sun to go down, he's gone. Or some, sometimes not. Or if you miss the first one, you're running around trying to track him down with a trolling motor or whatnot. But sure enough, about the time everybody would say, "I gotta go home and get some sleep," three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning, boop, there he is. Yeah, as soon as and the then water you're into the, calms down a bit. Yeah, then you're into the whole thing and. You, know, you put the gator in the boat, and you're back at the ramp. Sun's blazing, and you're trying to tear the skin off that thing. <laughs> Just, oh. Yeah. Yeah, cleaning a gator when it's 95 degrees outside is terrible. Oh, it is the worst thing ever. Doing anything in the daylight yeah. in Florida is terrible, except for sitting inside. That's usually pretty nice. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I like myself a good pool day. Well, yeah, that's different. But... <clears throat> That that brings up a whole I mean gator hunting and there's also I mean it's been it, it has circulated amongst the uh the FWC to bring gator hunting back to twenty four hours. Which would be nice. They petitioned for right now that it opened up until five PM to one PM. They just went and did a petition for that about a month and a half ago. Well, so just shut it down for four hours? Yes. Yeah, they shut it down during the main days for the guys that are like on the St. John's and the main rivers and stuff like that that are hauling their families and running up and down. Hmm. But other than that, I, I was reading about it the other day when I was going in, uh, looking up my wife's skater tags and trying to figure all that out. 
And there was this thing that I read about on a website about how they're trying to extend it throughout the day. And then hopefully one day we're going to open up 24 hours. But the biggest thing is trying to find people during the day that are on their boat that are normal boat goers that will not harass or look at and disturb the alligator hunters. So I'll give you this, though. I get what you're saying there, but the places where you are gator hunting, um, you don't typically find a water skier. Show show me somebody who's legitimately riding a tube down the St. John's like they are across any other big lake in Florida. Well, just doesn't that, happen, I, right? I get what you're saying, but the the area that attracts a gator hunter is is that's a it's a little more off the beaten path, right? You know, right? Um, but now I actually would like it to be extended like that because I won't tell you where I like to hunt, but there's a spot that we hunt that you can't access in those few hours of daylight. We need a few extra hours to get in and get out of there. So I would welcome that because where I'm talking about, there are some gangsters in there, you know. So, question, Jay. You, you've got a lot more gator hunting experience than I do. If you get a gator at 9 o'clock, you get it in the boat, but you're an hour and a half from the boat ramp, how does that, how do you legally go about that? Put the tag in and be done with it. Yep. Put the tag in it, disassemble all your gator hunting stuff. Unless the game warden's got his eyeballs on you. Now, if you, you hook the gator at, you know, one minute before you know, 9.59, you're legal, you know. And it's a gray area, but it's understood that, you know, if I'm standing there hooked to a gator fighting him and it's 10.15, you know, he's going to have to see me hook him after 10. Right. You know, and it, it's it's a gimme. It's a gimme. You know? Yeah, just curious. I mean, because I know it's it's not uncommon to want to hit the water before 5 o'clock, but you're, you're taking all your gator hunting utensils per se, mm-hmm. and none of them are rigged for gator hunting. They're just in the boat. Now, I'm not telling you I haven't cast at one before 5 o'clock, you know. <laughs> Were you with us the year, was last year? When the game one was sitting there watching us on on, yes. on the river, when we were coming we across, were, we yep. we were watching watching him watch us, and then we just started beelining towards them, and he took off went the other direction. Oh, that was a different issue yeah. because we were sitting right on our line where we could start hunting, and it was ten minutes before five, and he was sitting there just looking at us like, uh huh, I'm gonna get me them rednecks right there, touch one of them poles. Touch it's, one it's, so we were we were coming across the lake, and we were watch you were watching him through binoculars. You're like, he's watching us. So he's like, so we turned the boat, started going towards him, and then he just turned and went off the other direction. Yeah, the jig was up. He knew, he knew yeah. what time it was. He was like, oh, they busted. Got, they got me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they got me. But at that point, I think we were in an area where we could gator hunt when we were doing that. We were yeah, just, he just just south of our marker. We yeah. we were in the area, and it was legal time because it was that that was like butt crack of dawn, early morning. Mm-hmm. That was just after daylight when he was sitting out mm-hmm. there. Yeah. So we, and at that point we got in what, four o'clock in the morning, we put it in the water and hunted until what, four thirty five o'clock hunted until 10. We didn't get out there till 10. We got out, we got back after I got that 10 footer about a little after nine, maybe. I think we, yeah, we hooked that gator around eight forty five nine o'clock, something like that. Yeah. Cause we'd gone in blue Creek and back and forth and around. Yeah. So. But 
there are some great areas which you're right they're they're just hard to access because there's no no boat ramp close to them so in order you either got to do it at night and then doing it at night is a is a nightmare if i'm thinking about the same place you're talking about getting in there in the dark the head the headwater yeah yeah it would it would be a nightmare it's a nightmare in the daytime yeah like there's there's there is no quote unquote no wake zone but i challenge you to run a boat like outright run a boat through there you can't oh you'll tear the motor off yeah, you tear them up. Even if you're running an airboat, you'll end up. You can't just, run an airboat through there, and you're not the cage off it. Yeah, you're not the cage off We've mud tried. boat. You're gonna hit. You're gonna hit a dang mud stump. boat. You turn the corner, and there wasn't a tree down in the water yesterday, but it's there today. It's there now. Yeah, yeah. the mud boats, man. We take that polymer bottom and ease up on it, and over the top. That's also a real good spot to bow fish. It is. We've There's gone all the way. We've gone all the way from the river to the bridge. You know what I'm talking about? Oh that yeah, bridge in there. Oh yeah, we've gone all the way in there. You know. There's some, there's some monster catfish in there. Oh, some... I've gone from the bridge south back towards the river. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. what I'm talking about. That section in there. Yeah. There are some of the biggest alligators in there that live. But we, the uh, problem with it is there's so much stuff on the bottom and so many down trees in there that you can't throw a hook on them without hooking a tree. You gotta you gotta harpoon them. It's uh it's a it's a lot of fun in there. And then we, we went in there one day scouting deer and we're headed down and we, we came across one and I mean a freaking behemoth in a swimming area. And he's, this woman come down with her three little kids. I was like, ah. I told her, I said, I would not let my kids swim right now if I just saw, if you knew what I just saw, my mm-hmm. kids wouldn't be in the water. I said, there's a about a 12 footer, 12 plus mm-hmm. that just tore off from right where your kids about to put in the water when I come around the corner. The good thing about being in there is that once you get off the river, it's not too far back in there till the water clears up, just crystal clear, you know, and you can see good. It's beautiful in there, man. It's old Florida. That sand bottom, and it's just beautiful in there, you know. All right. Well, that's enough about gator hunting before we give away all the secrets on this podcast. Maybe we'll we'll hold another one later on down the road here in a couple of weeks, and we'll actually talk about gator hunting and, and what it takes to get gators in the boat and what you're looking for because it's not as easy as just riding out there and, and shining a spotlight and finding a gator if you want a gator of size that is i mean i can show you anywhere you can go kill a six footer and in florida that is not a gator of size that's a baby mm-hmm. but <clears throat> we'll, we'll dig into one of the things in florida that is nobody i really think as a, as a florida sportsman especially a small game hunter that most people don't know about is that rabbits in florida are open season year round. Yeah. Like 12 a day. Get out there in your public lands and kill some rabbits. Now killing rabbits is not easy. Not always. But Jim, I mean, you found how many rabbit holes now in your hike to hunt adventures? Oh man, I've got all kinds of rabbit places. All kinds of rabbit places. It's just a matter of tactfully removing the rabbits i i'm interested i I really want to get out behind some hounds and hunt some rabbits or in front of some hounds i should say you've never done that with beagles no run rabbits i wanted to do that for (laughs) it's a hoot man i've done it a couple times actually it's fun i bet it is i've always i've I've done it we just didn't find any rabbits we just followed beagles around all day (laughs) exactly I've always had an infatuation with, with killing rabbits. That, that was one of the things, like, when I was a little kid, my dad was, he's like, here, you know, I went from a BB gun, carry the Red Rider, you can carry the twenty two. When I had the twenty two, if it came to the end of the hunt and there was a rabbit in the food plot, it was game on. I get to shot a, I get to shoot a rabbit. 
So I've killed a uh, fair amount of rabbits in my younger days, and still every chance I get now, I mean, I carry a twenty two Magnum pistol with me to the deer stand. If I'm presented with the opportunity on the walk, you know, if, if there's still daylight on the walk back, or I'm out on the ground moving around, I'll pop a rabbit every time with that twenty two Magnum pistol and drag it back to camp. I love shooting rabbits. I've shot more, probably more rabbits with a bow than I have with my with a with a rifle because we had when I lived in Kentucky we had rabbits all around our house and when season would open for those, Oh, it was game on. I'd come home from work and there'd be four or five in the empty lot next to my house. I'd run in the house, grab the bow, step back outside, lay one out, wait 10 minutes, lay another one out. My wife would come home and she's like, what are you doing? I'd be standing there with my back. I'm like, Oh, nothing. She's like, are you skinning another rabbit? I'm like, no, babe. No, I'm not. I didn't kill any more rabbits. <laughs> They're delicious too. Oh, they are. I'm delicious. saying they are some of the most versatile wild game there is hands down. I mean, I think I can't believe we have n- no season, no limit on them on private land, because I don't, I don't know why more people don't hunt the bejesus out of them. They are fantastic table fare. You know, a lot of times they're good right out of the skin. I don't think I've ever had a tough rabbit that spent the night in buttermilk. And you can do whatever you want with them. And they're also you don't even need a pocket knife to clean a rabbit. Nope. You can literally peel the skin, guts, everything right out of that tender sucker with your fingers. You can gut those things without taking the fur off. Yeah. Squeeze it right out. Shake it right out. Whack. And I agree, man. If you take a fork and stick him some and then put him in buttermilk, you you can't. I mean, it's fall off the bone Mm. delicious. It's good. I've got rabbits in vacuum seal in the freezer over here. I, I enjoy the shit out of rabbit meat. Yeah, I, t- I take mine and st- stick them real good with a fork, you know. Get them tenderized a little bit. Put them in buttermilk or milk. And, man, the next day they are awesome. You can grill them, fry them. You can, you know, pressure cook them with rice and gravy. They're just delicious, man. Yeah, that's all I do with mine is I press them with a fork. I let them sit there and I go and crock pot them with mushroom or cream of mushroom in a crock pot. Serve it over rice every single time. Yeah. I, I didn't learn until a couple of years ago, though, that there's virtually no nutrition in a rabbit. Like, if no. you just tried to survive on rabbits, you'll die. Really? They call it rabbit starvation. Yeah. that You die of a protein deficiency. Yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, I don't care. It's still delicious. Well, I was going to say, when I was a kid, I should have died. Because my mama used to cook them all the time. Yeah, that's new news to me. Yeah. Oddly enough, you know where I learned that fact? I, I learned that reading um, the Brian series by Gary Paulson as a kid. It, uh, it is it is a fictional, you know, just a storybook, and I, I want to get the whole series to read to my son, but it's all about a kid who, like, his original thing, he, he goes down in, like, a bush plane and has to survive. Well, he learns all this on his own. And then I go on later in life to, to like Google that stuff when Google was a thing after reading those books. Or, well, Google was a bigger thing to learn that that's actual fact. Like you, you can't, you cannot survive on rabbits. You'll die. The easiest, the best way to eat a rabbit in a survival situation is to make soup out of it because you lose the majority of the, vi- the vitamins and minerals and all that good stuff in a rabbit meat when you cook it over an open flame. So if you make a soup and drink the broth, you'll, you'll live longer. So do we not? Do we not, do human beings just not ingest the protein in a usable format? I know it exists. I just don't know the mechanics behind it. 
But I don't, you're not going to die of starvation if you're eating rabbits with biscuits and gravy. You're not going to die of starvation if you're eating them, you know, cooked down in like a cacciatore. But know? a lot of times, too, though, you think about this. You, you make rabbits and biscuits and gravy. How do you cook the rabbit? The grease from the rabbit goes back into the biscuits and gravy, right? Well, I think, the, gra- I think the biscuits have a lot to do with your sustenance. Right. But you also, you're, you're maintaining the, the fat loss and oh, all that yeah, other stuff yeah. with, versus cooking it on the grill that you lose to literally lose to the flame. So if you make it in a soup and you drink the broth, you, you maintain a lot more of that. Got it. That stuff. And I imagine too, if you if you left the bones in and made a soup out of it, you get a lot more protein out of the marrow and that's where I thought you were like going that. with yeah. it, was boiling making broth out of it with the bone in it. And that's where I thought you were going. Yeah. But I can tell you the part about the biscuits, that's why I went to a double X large shirt recently. Because <laughs> of the biscuits. You can get you can live on them. <laughs> the south the south is proof you can live had on a pile biscuits of them this it? morning for breakfast <laughs> next episode I will, I will be well versed on rabbit starvation and how that happens we'll, we'll come back to that that's gonna, it, it's an interesting topic isn't it be prepared next week listeners i'm going to put you to sleep about rabbit starvation well i can't wait because i i mean it was I, I did not know that fact i mean I'm, i'll be here listening bells on you know gene weldon has been more than once brought up that we should do a subject uh, and I forget exactly what he had a great man he had like this is the section it is what I learned today it's not it's not what I learned today it's uh I didn't know that or right what I, I think it was just called what I learned so maybe next week we'll do what I learned um, but then I'm gonna have to figure out something there's a lot of stuff I don't know oh yeah and that here I mean shit we could write novels so no kidding that's bad, isn't it? But how, but you know, it's, it's kind of difficult. You, you got to do a lot of research to figure out what you didn't know. Right. Oh. Well, then I'm never going to know what I didn't know. It keeps hitting me in know. the head, man. Every day I thought, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. But I'm talking about related to the outdoors, right? You, you got to, I mean, let's go ahead and Google. Can you starve by just eating deer meat? Right. Probably not. I doubt it. Highly I'm going to die it. happy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a fact. <laughs> well, I think if you just try to eat nothing but any single kind of protein i think you'll eventually pass away absolutely because you don't get the same vitamins and stuff like that and you don't get the same protein that you need i mean we need a wide variety of different things that we be able to survive healthily i mean you might be able to survive but you will not be able to flourish on how you're supposed to be makes sense i mean there's third world countries where the and I'm not trying to make light of this. They're, they're surviving primarily on beans and rice. And the beans and rice alone won't get it done. The way they get the calories they need is by cooking those beans and rice in lard. Right? Around here. What? No, hey, Try look, to find lard. It's listen, hard to find. That Beans and cornbread. They throw some cornbread in there with it and they can survive good. Once again, double X shirt. <laughs> But you think about the one of the big ingredients in cornbread is butter. Mm-hmm. You know, back to your back to your lard. Yeah. So it's it's interesting. But another you know another thing you can get pretty easy down here in the South. That that's another question. Can you survive strictly on frog legs? God, weeks and weeks and weeks on nutrition. Yeah. Now I would I would try. What I learned it, today. I wouldn't because I would use more calories trying to clean them than eat them. 
how do you find frog legs hard to clean? It's oh. like taking pants off, son. Well, by the time that you clean them and then you cook them and everything, I just find them. So when y'all so when y'all fry your frog legs, I'm gonna ask you this: when y'all do you leave the feet on them? My, yes, yeah, I do. My, like my like dad, chips. Yep, my dad used to fry them brim too. You know, that's the oh, first catfish. thing he do. Catfish. catfish. You they first, air he, potato chips. On potato chips. The first oh, thing he'd do is grab that fillet or that frog leg and eat the damn foot or the tail off of it and just look at me like, man, that's the best part of fish, boy. I, when I was little, I, I about throw dad. up. You know. <laughs> I still don't do it, but what? I do it on bluegills and blue dad bluegill all that bluegills and catfish. Yeah, yeah. oh yeah, yeah. They're like they're like potato chips. Yes, that's they, what he always said. Exactly like potato so chips. Just like and a potato chip, boy. I love it. It's the best part of a fish, if you ask me. When we were younger, going back to bluegills, I was used to you know, not keep them unless they were the size of your hand because we were cutting fillets off them. And then a guy showed me, "What are you doing?" You know, just take the guts out of them, or actually scale them, take the guts out of them, knock the head off at the, you know, where the collar is, and deep fry that whole thing. And ever since then, I realized that there's no such thing as a small bluegill. I mean, that's an exaggeration. They they, they can get pretty small, but... You can make a meal out of it. You'd be surprised that three or four, what most people would call small bluegills, you're full. Oh yeah, they're all meat and little little bitty bones can become a pain in the butt. But then you you just get your technique down, get yeah, technique get your, down and everything. Get your technique down, grab him like a sandwich and pull that meat right off of the inside of the. You pull the meat from between the bones and everything, and it, it creates a lot more meat. That's man that's eating some bluegill right there. Damn you're right, 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 right off the backbone, exactly, man. Right you, off you, the backbone, you gnaw down that that yep. back fin. Yep, and then you almost just like schluck it, schluck it, yep. right off the back. Man. It's a it's a bite. <laughs> And a suck at the same time, <laughs> as you're drawing it out of your mouth, and it'll pull all that meat off air. You know? My man, <laughs> you know this. You know, I kind of, I can't Jim believe I knowing. forgot. I can't believe I forgot about bluegill, because that's that's one of those things. Like that's that's a staple you grow up for as a uh, grow up with as a kid fishing for, is bluegill. Like if I'm taking my kids fishing anywhere, and we're going bluegill fishing, Heck yeah, they're everywhere. They're they're fairly easy to catch, and as soon as you think they're easy to catch, they're not. But they are everywhere. You're right. Yeah, they're and, good too. And the ones that are too small, like literally too small to eat, they're like two inches long. You know what they make? Great bait for bass. Yeah. So hook him up and throw him out and catch a bigger fish to fry up. I'm gonna tell you a, a speck, what we call here in the South or here in Florida, a crappy. They call them crappies up. I, I've ne- I never, only a Yankee is I've ever heard call them a crappy. All right, let me let me go ahead and clarify this for everyone listening to this podcast. If you Look it up on the internet. It is called a speckled perch. All right. It is not called a crappy. It's a speck. It's a speck. A speck. Speckled perch. No, frog gigging is is an art form in and of itself. Because it, it's not like it, you, you would think, oh, frog frogs are easy. But the frogs you're really trying to eat, they're pretty dang big, and they didn't get big because they're stupid, right? So they're they're hiding up in the in the lily pads and stuff. And I'm talking frogs that are stretching out at ten plus inches long. A ten foot gig pole just don't cut it. Sometimes, like we were talking about with Jordan was here that one when I said that one that pulled me out of the boat. No, we were at my house that night. Yeah, I said having one pull me out of the boat. I wasn't joking. You know, I got out on the end of that pole and hit him. It said pop. You know, went in and. 
he went to going up that dike and it pulled me out of the airboat. I mean, he was pulling me. He was, you don't you don't realize, and, and this this is not a, a crazy thing to say, but you don't realize how much power is behind a frog, something that small until you really get a hold of it. I don't know, man. I uh, don't get me wrong. I love whacking some bullies. I love. I can't give my spots away, but I love walking through short grass and whacking leopard frogs. Man, they come up, they crawl right up out of the ponds hunting spiders. Like I think they're hunting spiders because you walk out at night, you know, and by the way, if you don't think there's ever very many spiders around, there's something like a million spiders per acre in Florida. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's insane. And you got and you can see their you can see their eyes in the in the grass and that's what you're seeing twinkling on the ground when you're walking to the tree stand in the morning. Yep. It's it's not like dew, that's spider eyeballs. I got, uh, you I got, got, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, I got uh really greedy and I started using my infrared scope. I took it off of the gun and I just started using the infrared scope and looking for it. But the best frog spots that I have find is if you go and you find the ponds on the side of a highway right before they cut them or, you know, right before they cut them or right after they cut them and really, stir up all the vegetation you can find some frogs on the side of a highway on the 429 the 451 you know i4 and all that if you find the ponds over there you can find some frogs bullies or are you talking about leopard frogs leopard frogs oh yeah and they're small don't get me wrong they're small but you're talking about do you take the legs off them there's times where i just peel the whole thing just the whole damn frog there's really not much on the front end, but you, know, you you look at a frog, it's got a back strap. Yeah. It's it's funny, I mean the whole it's kinda of like an alligator where the whole alligator is alligator. But it's yeah. different texture. Well the legs are different. You get the dark meat, which makes an awesome turtle suit, by the way. But with a frog, it's all just frog. That's how I should say they're they're built like an alligator. You know, an alligator's got quite a bit of meat on its back, you know, back straps and stuff. One of the best things about an alligator if you got time is to go ahead and clean him off and take a sawzall and cut his ribs off, make a r- r- rack of ribs out of it, you know. Really? And Oh, man. There's not a bunch of meat on them. But if you take Italian seasoning, soak it in Italian seasoning, put it on the grill, it's the best thing you've ever eaten. Now you really? got some I, I, I did that once. I took the ribs off a gator. You know, I don't think I... I don't think I soaked him in anything. I think I just went straight to the smoker. And um, yeah, I, got, probably, I got like two bites out of it. I was like, good Lord. Oh, yeah, it probably dried it out pretty bad. No, man. It just was that straight vinegar, straight mud. Yeah. Well, straight my, swamp mud, man. My favorite part of an alligator is if you go and you clean out the alligator, if you get a big river gator, 11 plus. Right in between the head and the front shoulders, you get the jowls. So oh, it's yeah. like straight fat. Oh, you yeah. know, and you clean that out and you go and put it on the smoker, you pan sear it or something. It's like a flaming yawn. Yeah, of an alligator. I cut those. I don't care Jolly. how big gator is, I cut them out. Oh, they yeah. are delicious. They are, that's the best part of gator to me. Yeah, big, old, big old chicken breasts, man. Yep. So I'll tell you this if you are have never gator hunted before and you are going to a restaurant, and you're like, oh, my God, gator tail. Ooh, you're not getting gator tail. Mm-mm. That's garbage meat. Mm-hmm. 
That is garbage meat. That's that meat. leg meat and all that stuff. Yeah, that is not gator tail. Yeah. Or it's chicken. <laughs> it's like going and buying so, scallops. It's normally a stingray. I got a question for you. You guys ever have you guys ever pulled a gator out? And you're looking at thing, and that thing's marbled like bacon. No, uh, we did, man. We killed a gator one year in the St. Johns River, in an area where there are houses, and I think, I suspected they've been feeding that alligator. And you know, the problem with it's when it's marbled is all the nasties and the fat. Yeah, that tallow. Yeah, you got to take it out. It was almost impossible. Really, it was just layers of it, man, and and um, which made. You know, we, we cleaned it up as best we could, but every time I took a pack out of the freezer, I had to fine tune it before you, you know, if I'm going to feed it somebody like that, usually it's just take it out. I'm, I'm really tactical about getting the fat off it, whack it with a meat melt a few times, dust it into the fryer, you know, feed it with dipping sauces and all your friends that come down to Florida to go to Disney are like, oh, wild alligator, you know, and it's a great time. But man, that one. Yeah, that was one you need to just chunk away. We called, we called it the bacon gator. And right. a couple of us caught it. And we all split it and we were all like, it's, it's disgusting. We just can't get rid of the fat. Well, those two tails that you got that we had, you know, we had the tail that was in the refrigerator. And then we killed that gator with you. And you got both the tails and the jow meat off of it. Well, I took one of the loins, I think. But that was a lot of gator meat. Did you see how we did that? There was so much meat there that we just squared it off, took all that stuff off. And just, yeah. you know. Oh, yeah. I actually ended up losing 98% of my gator meat. Really? My dad, I had it in my in my freezer at my dad's house. Oh, and he story. went up to uh, went up to Indian Pass with, with uh, Jim and Jordan and all those guys up there. And my dad evidently left the freezer door cracked a little bit. Oh, no. He lost all that meat that was in there. I mean. That was a bunch of maybe, gator meat. Maybe four deer, a bunch of gator meat, several ducks. He had a dang hooded merganser in there that he was planning on having mounted. Uh, I mean, everything gone. Holocaust. Yeah, it was terrible. That was a the, lot the, of gator meat, too. I was over at my parents' house the other night, and it still stinks in the garage. I lost two two of the biggest bucks I've ever killed that way. A nine and a ten. It just, my freezer quit in the barn. Didn't know. Walked out there. Yeah, like, I tell you, so I have a little freezer in my house, a, a deep freezer inside the house that we, we keep a lot of meat in. And after that happened, I think I am I need to get me a, a some sort of alarm that hooks to my phone or something to let me know. Because not necessarily because the, the freezer goes bad, but because it is on a, a GFCI plug. Sometimes that plug gets flipped and either that or my daughter gets into the laundry room and plays with the thermostat on the uh freezer and it turns it dang near off hmm. man on the subject of refrigerators and freezers and stuff and losing things i think we're gonna have my buddy jason gonder in shortly talking about some of the things he's done volunteering and out in new mexico but we're, we have a hunt camp in georgia and one time we went up there in may or june and we walked into the place where we have our freezer, not thinking anything of it. And we popped that thing open. And I've to date never, I, I lost my gag reflex that day. <laughs> Nothing has ever made me, you know, since. Somebody 
the season before had brought up a whole bunch of tilapia fillets and put them in the freezer. Oh, God. Oh, my God. And then there was other things, dairy, lunch meat, raw chicken that was in the refrigerator. And at at the end of the season, everybody just hauled ass and left that in the freezer. Last man out shuts off all the power. We came back in June. Good Lord. Oh, good Lord. Oh. And, oh, you know, we're all too cheap to go out and buy it in the refrigerator or freezer. The smart thing to do would have been to just, well, probably just burn the whole building down, but take the freezer out and take it to the dump. But, no, we sat there and cleaned that thing, taking all that. And I'm telling you, whatever you visualize about fluids running down the door and out onto the floor, all that was there, man. And the only thing that survived, Texas Pete. Texas Pete hot sauce, man. And I'm telling you, we we kept that Texas Pete in the six guns, and people were using that hot sauce for like a year afterwards. And I was like, I ain't touching that hot sauce, man. I don't care. Nope. I got my own over here. But that was, I've never, dead body, I I would clean up a dead body. You could take a dead body and go stick it in the sun for three days. I cleaned that thing up before I touch it in the freezer like that again. Oh, it's terrible. Yeah, I no, kid you not. I oh, I can't remember involuntary gag reflex where you, it was so bad, you, you know, like dry heaving, and then it just went away. Never had a, it's gone. It cured me. That's how bad it was. The plethora of smells involved with that scenario. I mean, I got a taste of it when I were in my parents' house, and it's still. Uh, even after they cleaned everything, there's something out there, whether it be my dad's gun safe or something that something is underneath of that's still just just permeated it. Oh yeah. 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 Oh yeah, man. This is June or July or whenever it was. Well into Christmas, you could still wander into that. They got a bath it was in the same place our bathroom and shower are. So you weren't not gonna go into that room. If you went in there and still here. It was in the wood. Oh, it's awful. Oh, yeah, it'll get in that wood. It'll get in that wood and Awful. stay there. Yeah. Oh. The, the floor was still stained until we, we had, instead of pulling up the old floor, we just redecked it. Yeah, <laughs> put new wood over the old <laughs> wood. That's, that's hunt camp style right there. <laughs> yeah, that's what absolutely, you absolutely. <laughs> nice and level, though, man. Oh, that's funny. So we leave the crazy kind of summertime stuff, even though it's deer season in the summertime, and we, we migrate more into the early fall things where we talk about uh, early wood duck and teal. Florida is one of those crazy states where, you know, there's, there's teal season across the U.S. Like, it happens in September. But we can also, for the first, was it Matt, the first week, kill wood ducks? First week you can kill wood ducks. Second, well... You have it where the first, you have a season, you have early wood duck and teal. So the first week you can shoot teal and wood duck for five days. You have a two-day grace period, and then you can shoot teal for five days. And then you have off-season for a month and a half, and then it comes into Maine. Yeah. Teal, are that's so fun. They're fun to shoot, man. Oh, them freaking marsh rockets. Yeah, they are. Oh, I hate teal. I love them. I, they, I love make, they make me look like a freaking. I was going to say, I don't think I've ever shot a teal. Oh. I've knocked them down with a shotgun. 
but it was I may as well have my eyes closed. Because, like, as far as judging lead and things like that, it's just... Oh, they're so quick. Yeah, I'm out there about 35 yeah. feet in front of them. We had, we had a pretty <laughs> good shoot. We had a pretty good shoot we last year. We had a year. great shoot, if you ask me. But it wasn't teal season. That, that, was, a, that was the first weekend of... Uh, no, no, that, that was teal. No, not out on the uh, the lake where we all stayed the night out there. Uh, yeah, on... Uh, that was, that was in November. Out on uh, Mosquito Pond. Yeah, that, that was in November. No, no, that... Because we shot teal... We shot mergansers. We shot. No, uh, you're allowed to shoot mergansers during your own teal. I know, but it wasn't early teal. It was November. Yes, it was definitely November. Was it opening week? Yeah, no, oh. it, was, it, it was opening weekend of. I guess you could call it first phase. First phase. Yeah. Was it? Yeah. And during a conversation huh. like this, we need that sound effect from uh, what was the old video game where they say fight. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was gonna say y'all don't get divorced now. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, we we had a great great hunt that but day. But we that, we put down in the, the way we had it where we were set up. I mean, they were coming in to land in front of well, us, and we were so shooting them on the flare. Where's my phone? I can tell you exactly what day that was because that was Sadie's first retrieve. But, well, that's fine. You go ahead and Google it right I, on up. I, I and, will. And your, while your you're looking out. for that, we're going on to some other subject. <laughs> but another thing, you know, we even before early teal opens up. In early chilling wood duck is we've got more in season. Thank you. You know when you're talking about all the places and the things that you could do, and then you went into alligator, and I was like, oh man, because I realize I'm probably in the minority, but I will place more hen season over alligator season every time. More hens are a redneck good time. All right, because you have to ride the fine line of what is legal as far as a moving vessel, and and what is not right so when we're hunting more hens we are searching the lily pads and these are marsh hens right it looks like a coot but it has a red beak instead of a white beak little water chicken exactly black you're pushing towards the lily pads in a boat you cut the motor off and you allow the boat to stop all forward motion November, I told you. Yeah, November 21st, you're right. You you let the boat stop all forward motion because you can't legally kill under power of the motor. As soon as it stops all forward motion, then you let loose with all hell on the, the largest group of more hens you can find in the lily pads. You can kill 15 per person per day. Lead legal. And they are delicious. So, pro tip, don't run up on them with your big motor. I think when the boat's moving that fast, I think that spooks them. And, of course, it takes the boat a long time to slow down. Get close, deploy the trolling motor, troll in on them. Cut that trolling motor or turn the trolling, have the turn trolling motor turn around and touch it. It's like putting the brakes on. Then sing me the song of your people. We lay them out flat. So coming up September 11th, we're actually going to have a more hen fry and a pig roast, and the uh, proceeds from the raffles and some other stuff like that are going to go to uh, some veterans organization in Florida to get wounded vets out on some special opportunity hunting trips through the uh, Florida Division of Forestry, not the federal division, just the state division. So we've already spoke with those guys, and we're gonna we're gonna make it happen. So you guys will be able to buy, buy tickets. We'll, we'll create an event here soon and uh, get that up there. And you, you guys can actually come out and eat some awesome pig and uh, some more hen. And you'll discover why we like to hunt them so much. Because they are absolutely delicious. 
Absolutely. What are we looking at? I think we're looking at about 20 bucks a head for this event. Yeah, probably about that. Twenty bucks for adults, and then we'll we'll do the same thing we did for the crawfish bowl. We'll charge a little less for kids under a certain age, and go from there. Have some goodies to sweepstakes off, and all that money will go to a good cause. Bring some vets in since we are doing it on September 11th, commemorating. I don't know if commemorating is the right word, but honoring that day and the sacrifices that are made by people. I think that's going to be a great time. So the raffle, I mean, we know for sure we're going to be giving away at least a 20-quart eco-cooler, right, Jim? Absolutely. We've got and a then, sand 20-quart eco-cooler that will probably be stuffed with all kinds of goodies. And uh, what do you guys think? What kind of things would go good in the in the cooler you think that people would like? Well, there's yeah. always a UPO hat and some UPO stickers that are going to go in there because that that's, you know, a given. What do you think, Jay? You we, think we can lean on you and give you the strong arm? Yeah, well, I mean, we can Take get some. We can get some conquest scent stuff put together. We can probably get some VIP broadheads. Um, probably get a obsession bow and a fall away and a HHA sight system on it, fully rigged. You know, all you'd have to do is get it tuned and put a loop on it, and be good to go. So, I mean, we can put together some stuff that'd be worth putting a ticket in on you know and oh absolutely might even throw some ammunition in there no don't, right get, there. don't get carried uh, away don't Charles. get carried away <laughs> but yeah we can probably squeeze out a, a bow from obsession uh you know martin bow um martin and obsession and probably some conquest stuff and some broadheads and some arrows and this the bow and will not be in the cooler no, no, absolutely no, not. That'll be a separate ticket item. Separate drawing in and of itself. But, you know, that type of stuff, you got to keep in mind, all those proceeds from those drawings are going straight back to getting vets and those special opportunity hunts. So Holly. that's not coming back to us. We might make some money on the tickets you buy to come eat some delicious food, but we're not keeping any of the money from the drawings. Yeah, after covering the food and the gas and the rent of the park, we might be able to go out and buy a Big Mac the next day if we're lucky double cheeseburger yeah but you know that that money it, it comes back to keep us to be able to do stuff like this exactly what we're doing you know there's a couple of veterans sitting here at the table and it's you know so yeah we should give back but so we've talked about gator season we've talked about rabbits year-round we've talked about frog gigging we've talked about early teal and wood duck jay you are the turkey fanatic it is a, an oddity in most states to have a fall turkey season. It is. You're right. What is the trick to killing a turkey in the fall? Same tricks you use. It's the same thing. They, I mean, you can deploy your deeks because, you know, turkeys are, you know, they like company. And a gobbler will gobble at you in the fall. I don't know if you've ever been on your tree stands and heard gobbles, gobblers blowing up, you know. Uh, you, can, you can gobble them. My favorite thing to do with them is to run in on them and bust them up, sit down and call them back to you. That's my favorite thing to do. I don't do it in the spring a bunch. Um, now, I will, like a bird that's missed, you know, or you run in and blow them out, you literally can sit down and call them back to you, you know. And one of my favorite things in the fall to do here in Florida and on our farm in Tennessee, because in Alabama there's only two, there's only two counties I think in Alabama that allow you to shoot in the fall. You know, it's it's an oddity. You know, there's not many places that let you do it, but 
Um, one of my favorite things to do is find their roost, sit in on them, or find them, just start walking the valleys and the mountains and stuff and kick them up and sit back down right there and yelp them back to you because they will. They'll rally back, you know, yelp them. Same thing you do when you're yapping. You just rally. It's a rally call. You know, it's a, here I am. Come on to me. You know, we're, we're going to gather back up. And uh, you can literally kick them up and sit down right there. And you don't, They'll come right back to you. Years ago, I was coming out of a, I was hunting deer in a little small piece in Chiliota. We had the uh, rights to hunt. And I was just bebopping through the woods on my way out, really not paying attention. And... I heard a dust up. Um, didn't also was like that sounds like turkeys, and I don't know exactly what had happened in this, but I did all of a sudden see this flock of turkeys moving right to left, and I watched two gobblers, um, for lack of a better term, mix it up, and the gob the one gobbler that had its back to me or its hindquarters to me, all of a sudden it blew up full. Um, like full strut. Yeah, they'll go in a strut, yeah. And you know, I was carrying a rifle, which is lawful in Florida. And at that point in my life, I'd never killed a turkey. I was like, oh my gosh. So got down, leveled that rifle across the log, shot that turkey right square in the middle of its fan. Only later did I realize that when a turkey goes into strut like that and throws its fan out, that its whole body is low. <laughs> Because I walked over to get my turkey and there was no turkey. But the point of the thing is, is of course, when I took that shot and then went over to grab what I thought was going to be a dead turkey, um, the whole flock scattered. And it didn't matter that I was over there looking. I couldn't believe I missed this turkey. Um, but heard that and, and was walking up on turkeys. Mm -hmm. Like they would hear me over there moving leaves and stuff, trying to find blood, just moving branches. And they were walking in on that. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll yell. I'll get out. I'll go in there and blow them out, you know, on purpose, not even try to sneak up on them to shoot them, see them go, walk straight in on them, blow them out, sit down, put my mouth call in and yelp them and go and scrape around me with my hands. And then damn birds will get out there, you know, 100, 150 yards and turn around and come right back to me. You know, I think the worst turkey experience that I ever had, I was out pig hunting and I went pig hunting with one of my buddies and it was early morning. We sat there and stand in the morning and then, you know, morning rolled around. We ended up going to get breakfast and then we came back and I had a turkey call in the truck and he was telling me how to blow a mouth call, mouth read. And we started playing around a little bit and we we're at the driver's side of my truck and then we worked back there into the woods and then we worked our way out, and there was a Tom sitting there, and I had a black truck, and that Tom was sitting in my driver's door, looking at his reflection, pecking the paint mm -hmm. out of my driver's side door because he could see him. Was that a fall turkey or a spring turkey? That was a spring turkey. Oh, okay. Yeah, they'll fight. They'll, I mean, they'll they'll mix it up all year. You know? Oh well, he destroyed my truck. Yeah, they'll tear it up. I had a. <laughs> I was pissed. Oh, I can't. I can't tell that story. Never mind. So the. <laughs> It almost sounds, because everybody says that fall turkey hunting is a real challenge because they don't, I guess they don't gobble as much. You know, they're not out there, I'm over here. But 
if I understand you correctly, you're using the exact same strategy. So then the real challenge is, I guess, the greatest challenge with every PC game, finding the turkeys in the first place. That's exactly right. Like, you know, here in Florida, I have a couple great pieces of property to hunt, you know, that are loaded with turkeys. And and uh, the good thing about hunting here in Florida and Tennessee, our farm in Tennessee also, and our farm in Texas, but... Here in Florida, I've got a great place to hunt, a couple of places that I know where the birds are at and know where they're roosting. And in the fall, you can move in there underneath the roost and let them pitch down and shoot them or let them pitch down. And I literally have let the birds pitch and sit there and watch them get up, go blow them out, and then sit down and call them back to me because that's what I like doing, I like calling birds to me. When you say blow them out, you mean run, just, just run, run bulldoze right in Yeah, them. just walk right in Watch the middle them of them. Scatter. Watch them scatter. And then just sit down, yap them back to you, and they will come right back to you. You know, most of the time. It doesn't happen, happen all the time, but most of the time you can sit down. 80% of the time you can sit down and, and call them right back to you from every direction they ran, you know. You know, that's pretty contradicting uh, about, like, how hard it is to get a tom into you and then work them in and call them and call them and call them and get them into you just so you can have a picture perfect shot. And then you miss the shot and then you walk out there and just flare them all off. And then you can call them back in in 15 minutes yeah, just to it's, it's, lay one down. Exactly. I mean, it's it, it's what that's how I do it. I I also do a cutoff method. You know, to where I know if they're roots someplace and they're pitching down into a pasture or a field or something. Okay. They're normally going to come back right there to where they pitch down at. With okay. someplace pretty close. That's another tactic I use. I go and set up and wait on them to exit the field after they're feeding. You know, it, you know it's just like anything. you got to pattern them. You know, sometimes they'll pitch and they'll walk in and go into a cut in the tree line, which is a tactic deer use. You know, if you're going to hunt a deer on a field, you want to go to a corner or a deep spot that has a, you know, a, that's where the deer is going to come out. So that's the first place you'd go set up. And same with turkeys, you know. And it, I, I try to do a cutoff method also, um, especially in the fall. Not so much in the spring, but anyway. Uh, well, we'll I'll, I'll hear more about that through my wife and stuff. When we were trying to set up, just never stint line up. And stuff like that. But here soon I'll hear it from the wife and stuff like that when our wives go out. Oh, you, then, you'll hear it from mine if she comes on the podcast because she, uh, I think she's about as bad as I am with it. Yeah. <laughs> Ty, Ty, he likes to turkey hunt too, but it's, uh, we like the turkey hunt. Yeah. And every time I get someplace to hunt, that's the first thing I ask. How many turkeys you got? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, or is anybody hunting turkeys? Yeah. Because we just enjoy it, you know. It's so interactive, and it's and you're you're running and gunning, and you know I've killed so this is I've killed so many deer in my life that once I transitioned sort of into turkey hunting, I got went into guiding hunts, you know, deer hunting. Went into guiding it because I needed something extra. You know, I I needed to do something different because I just was tired of shooting deer. To be honest with you. And, uh, so I started turkey hunting and guiding turkeys and it just caught on to me, man. And a long time ago, but it caught on to me and I was just like, man, all I want to do is turkey hunt. I don't, you know, 
Now, I will still go deer hunting with you. Don't get me wrong. Well, I kind of understand that. I've called, a, I've never shot a turkey myself, but I've called a couple turkeys. Um, but the biggest thing is the involvement with that animal and the call back and forth, and you're talking to them and coaxing them in. It kind of builds a bond between you and that animal before you take it, and it makes it more special. Yeah, my thing with it is at this point, I've killed a number of turkeys also. My thing is, I want to call that turkey. Me and Jim, we can sit like we are right now together in the woods. We can t- talk back and forth, you know, whisper back and forth. And I can call that bird and put him in, put him at gunpoint. Once I do that, I'm good. You know, Jim, he throws his shotgun up, shoots him. I've gotten that bird to gunpoint. I'm happy. You know, that, I think you hit a big part of the reason why I like turkey hunting, though I still like hunting solo. Part of the reason I like small game hunting, part of the reason I like quail hunting, part of the reason I like duck hunting is the camaraderie. Like you said, I, I love deer hunting too, but I think that at this point for me, deer is the tradition. It's the whole setting up the, either the challenge of hunting them on public land or if you've got private land, setting it up to foster the deer. It's more like deer management than it is deer hunting. But to me, the deer is a guy that really loves to cook wild game. It's it's basically about the payload because it's one deer or the entire quail population of Georgia, you know, for, for the same amount of yield. And ducks aren't, there's not a ton of yield on ducks either, but the, the camaraderie, you talked about being able to sit here, and that's some of the best stuff in the woods, right, is you're out there, it's all supposed to go well, and then it doesn't. And you start out, everybody's all locked on, Nothing happens, so you start. Hey, did you hear the one about the? Or yeah. did you see what Jimmy did the other night? And next thing you know, and, and then, you know, those yeah. are where real yeah. stories come from, man. It's the camaraderie, mm-hmm. and that's missing from deer hunting until. Well, one of the things campfire. Yeah, one of the things about turkey hunting that I enjoy so much is my interaction with my family. You know, I can hunt with my kid. I can hunt with my wife. I can, you know, and it's we're there hunting together. You know, it's just, it's the camaraderie of it is really what I enjoy. I like it, you know, and turkeys are as dumb as they may seem. They are, uh, they're savvy. They're very difficult to kill. It sounds like it's, they're not, but they're, it's, it's, they're savvy. Well, I mean, if you listened last week, you, you should have learned that bird brained is a compliment. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I agree with the uh, camaraderie about hunting and stuff like that. Uh, I think one of my favorite duck hunts that I ever went on was when I took Will's boy, Rylan out. Me and Will went over there, and it started out as far as Rylan was laying on the front of the boat at like 4 a.m., and he asked my bird dog to come up there, and they were cuddled up, spooned, you know, taking a nap. I think that's your screensaver on your phone right now. It was actually that day, but he, he drove my boat all the way back. He he waxed one of the nicest moorhens that I've ever seen in my life that day. But it's it's about getting the younger generation out there, and it's about being with family and good friends. Yep. and That's what it's all about. That's exactly what it's about. You know, I spent so many years, you know, um, hammering, just hammering, big buck, hammer, big buck, hammer. And lost so much time with my family doing that that 
I'm getting upset talking about it. It's it, it it's easy to get caught up in what social media wants you to believe is hunting. It really is, and it, it, it's not all about the the biggest buck. Although it is nice to kill a wall hanger, but if you if you could see behind me right now, there's a wall hanger back here. He's yeah. all of about five and a half yep. points, <laughs> and I'm just as proud as this uh, of this yep. deer behind me as I am the one that hangs yep. in my living room, and it, it, it's uh the trophy you know they say that the the trophy's in the eye of the beer holder <laughs> right yeah. but it, but it really is though right it's in the eye of the beholder uh if it makes you happy then that's what matters yeah does it make a good stew you damn right it does yeah. that's where i'm at with all this stuff man it's first and foremost about the food don't yeah. get me wrong man i i got antlers I keep them all. Well, not all, but I've got totems all over. You've been. Yeah. You know, turkey fans and grouse I like, fans. I and like the totems, and that's when, you know, if somebody you know, disparagingly says, well, you're okay, but the trophy hunters, I'm like, I'm a trophy hunter. I got trophies all over my house. But in the trying to connect that person that wants to disparage trophy hunting, they, they don't understand that. In the, in the overwhelming majority of cases, what that person that's outside the know sees as a trophy is is just a totem that reminds the hunter of everything else around it. And yes, we tend to display larger deer or prettier birds because they're less common. That's it. It's I was able to do something that was, I mean, hunting's already challenging, but if you're a non-hunter, you don't understand that. That when you put the big buck on the wall or whatnot, you're really talking to other hunters. Like, not only did I have success, but I was fortunate enough, or I don't know, I've never been the guy that's just hunted one deer all year. I'm just not that guy. It's So maybe it is a little different for people that just hunt one deer. They've been watching it all year or watching it for years. I've never been that person. It's always been targets of opportunity. I always feel blessed to get, but I don't know. I, don't I, I, I actually have been that guy, you know, where I just was like, all right, this is a deer I'm killing. And it, it, and it took away from a hunting experience, you know, eventually. It's, I hunted a deer in Alabama that was three straight years spent hours on this deer and it was like man you know i ended up missing him ended up missing the deer in the third year i hunted him he was a monster 10 point and i looked back at it and went damn all this time i've been doing this i could have been hunting with my kid you know so you know trophy hunting i learned something yeah I mean, it, it's nice to be able to go out and and have that quote unquote trophy to display and trophies really are defined by uh, the Boone and Crockett organization and Pope and Young and all those other organizations out there that, that tell you what a trophy is. The yeah. ironic part about that, that all, those organizations all started about management. They were yeah. trying to gauge the, the successful recovery of the deer herd. Cause we, you know, hunted them 
I guess the, it's not extinction, is it extirpation in so many states or, or nearly extirpated them. They were, they started that whole award system because there, there weren't very many large mature animals. And now, now it has mutated into something else because it's a big deal to get your name yeah, in the, the books. I mean, the whitetail had been hunted down to the dirt, you know. And it, what's crazy is for when I was a kid growing up, we were shooting deer in Ocala, running with dogs, and I was hunting in Alabama on our farm up there and hunting in Georgia and whatnot. They, um, I had never heard anybody go, how many inches is that deer you killed? It wasn't a thing, you know. Now, every time a big buck hits the dirt, you know, it's like, well, how many inches is he? How, you know, and it, it really takes away from the hunting experience, man. It really it turns it into this crazy competition that shouldn't exist, you know? You know, growing up as a kid, I never, I never, you're right, I never heard how many inches, but I did hear how many points. Well, a 170-inch yeah. nine-point was the same as a 110-inch nine-point. Exactly. A nine-point to nine-point to nine-point yeah. to nine-point. Yeah. Right? But you're right. The, to an extent, we have – I don't want to say that the institution of Boone and Crockett has bastardized hunting, but we have used Boone and Crockett to bastardize hunting. Oh, man. I think so. You know, you know what's made hunting what it is right now? television absolutely and i hate to say that because i'm involved in it but it's what has made it what it is right now this crazy competition between people um on their leases and all that's you know that's what you hear is you know you're killing good bucks this year yeah we killed a few well how big were they how many inches were they you know and it's and tv has turned it into this thing that uh it's a double-edged sword for me, you know, it, it, because of being in the industry. But, man, when we hunt in Georgia, if you see, you know, eight points, 100 inches, and you don't shoot it, that deer ain't going to survive the season. I mean, if somebody else sees it, it's gone, man. Right, 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 right. <laughs> It's eight points. It's outside of the years. Yeah, it's done. <laughs> done. Yeah, which is fine. You know, if yeah. that's if that's what you want to shoot. If that's what makes some of the you local happy. farmers. If it's got four legs, it's down. They, I mean, there's some of those guys up there. They just assume. I mean, I don't know. There's different places, like I said, of different populations, but where we have, there are guys that actually have to go out and replant, because. You know, the beans or the peanuts or the, the, especially the young cotton when it's first coming out and it's all succulent. Mowing it down like a lawnmower. Those those flowers on that cotton, them deer will go out there and, I mean, yeah, zoo that stuff, man. They'll eat it. Matter of fact, when we go to Alabama here in a couple weeks, there's a spot that we may go try to shoot a pig at. There's some farmers over in Texasville, Alabama. They got some you know, farm, they got a big farm over there and they have us come over and, uh, shoot pigs on their place at night. And, uh, I'm hoping to be able to go over there because it's a, it, uh, it's a hoot, man. There's a big old hill in the middle and we pull the truck in there and put the tripod in the back, getting them thermals tuned up, man. About 10 minutes after dark, it's a free for all. Where's that? In Alabama, a place called tech. Te- it's a unincorporated place called Texasville, Alabama. 
right there near, near Baker Hill. Well, we're going to go here in a couple of weeks. So we'll, uh, we'll see if we can get over there and shoot some off their place. It'll be fun, man. Pigs at night is always a blast. Yeah. Especially on that thermal. Yeah. You know, only done it once in Louisiana and it's fun. That's what it's come to. And I'm going to tell you that at Piney Woods, um, where I guide and everything in Alabama, um, we've seen the, the change in, we have a lot of people book hunks for hogs that come from up north and they all show up with, you know, $6,000 rifles with, you know, hell, sometimes $10,000 rifles with, with thermals on them and everything else. And, uh, the reason for that is TV, you know? Right. So, I mean, I, I can't, I can't dog television because it's making money, but it's, you know, because that's what they're doing. I mean, it's amazing when those guys come in and book a hunt, there'll be six or eight of them, you know, come in and got the thermals and everything. They go out and shoot pigs at night and we guide them and, and it's a big time, you know, it's, it's fun. It's a lot of fun, but, um, you know, TV is, has promoted all that, you know, Television is a double-edged sword. It is. Right? It is. It, it, it portrays the excitement of hunting very well. Mm-hmm. But we're also missing a, a huge piece of it in, in television where it, it, it's the, the gathering of, of friends and family and the time that is spent off camera, uh, the food that's had, the the stories, the conversations, everything you miss out on, it, it, it doesn't make the TV show because it's not exciting. And that's what hunting's about is everything you just said that don't make the TV show. And that's one thing about Jordan and Common Man is they're trying, he's trying to put that story out there, you know, like he was talking about. And it's one of the reasons that I've, I, I love what he's doing, you know, with Common Man is uh, he's trying to put that whole story out there. For everybody I, to see. I think he does a good job of showing the real side. He does. Of hunting. Yeah, which needs to be, that story needs to be told, you know. Yeah. And uh, it really does. It needs to be told. So. Well, there, there's other shows that are getting better at it. I mean, the the OG in that aspect is probably Renella. Oh, yeah. Meat Eater yeah. does a great job. He, he, Chris, Meat Eater draws, uh, Meat Eater's drawing people from the opposite end of the spectrum, I guess people stumble on it. Yeah. Um, bringing people out of the vegan culture that are, you know, like he, he I is can't do this anymore, but I don't want to do the industrial, you know, raised. Steve Rennell is easy, is easily the biggest bridge that covers the gap. He was just the first guy to figure it out that. Yeah. Yeah, you got it. You've got to. Yeah, he stumbled link. into it. Yeah, yeah you got to. I do. Yeah, you got to link both of the sides, and he's doing a great job. Steve Steve Rinella's a he's a smart cat. You know, he's a he's interesting. I mean, he's his podcast is really good. Not to bring up another podcast, but sorry, we listen. Sorry, to yeah, I listen to it too every I, Monday morning. Yeah, it's we, great. We, we'd, we'd put him in a seat if he asked. Yeah, yeah, it'd be fun, wouldn't it? That'd be awesome. But yeah, he's <laughs> he's he's a smart guy, man. I mean, he's and he's I think he's true to his word as far as what he's doing. You know, I just, he's just a smart guy that does a great job promoting our industry, you know. Well, I think that Steve Ornell about the whole thing, he turns around and talks about the realistics of hunting as far as sometimes he goes out there. There was one thing I was watching. He was just like, okay, we're supposed to be doing uh, hunting for blacktail. 
out in Alaska, and he goes, man, we ain't shot crap. So I'm going to go get sea cucumbers. I'm going to show you how to cook those. Mm-hmm. So he he is real about everything because not every hunt is a success. Yep, that's a fact. Well, we've dove in just about everything you can cover in the southeast. And... Oh, man, we haven't touched coons, possibly. Oh, yeah, coon, so coons Don't talk is, about coons. My wife's going to come over here and bust in that front door. You know, but none of us are, are really <laughs> dog men. Like I said, just about everything. Not everything, just about everything. I grew up running. That's what I, that's, I killed my first deer in front of dogs. I mean, <laughs> I grew up as a dog guy, you know. But. And that's, that's a whole nother culture in the South mm-hmm. is running deer with dogs. But we'll get into the under pressure outdoors tip of the week. And if I, if I had to lead it off with anything, I would say no matter where you are, dig deep into your state regulations because there is something out there in your state, no matter where you are, you didn't realize, Holy cow, I could be hunting that all year. You could hunt. You don't have to fish. Fishing's fun, but hunting's better. You could have been hunting all through the summer. You just didn't realize it yet. And if you think you can't eat it, try a different recipe. I'll tell you that right now. Because you can eat everything. You just ain't cooked it right yet. All right. Um, my tip of the week would have to be, when it comes to me, everybody's worried about, I blew up my mud boat last weekend. Everybody's worried about their equipment as far as their boats. As far as their bows, their shotguns, um, their camo, their waders, if they're leaking and everything else. Keep up on the maintenance on the simple stuff like your truck. Make sure that you keep up with the oil changes. Make sure that you keep up with everything on your vehicle because not only does it have to get you back and forth to work, it's got to get you back and forth to the woods. So without that, one, I don't care what you do as far as your boat, your waders, your shotguns, your Whatever you're doing. If you don't have your truck, you ain't getting out there. I, I'm going to go ahead and off that one. You talked about waiters. I'm going to go ahead and, and, and plug this that after all the hate they get, I am going on season number three with a pair of banded elite waiters. Even after a leak scare last year, I discovered it was not an actual leak as much as I was just wet above the waiter line. Okay. And it ran down my waterproof jacket onto my butt crack. And that made me think I had a leak. But after climbing into the pool with those, they are not leaking. So we're going on season number three with those banded waders. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, don't throw your small bluegills back. Scale them and gut them. Pull pull that meat off the backside of them. They're good. Learn how to eat a bluegill. Learn how to eat a bluegill. Hey, you can make a scaler out of a couple beer caps and a paintbrush. Yeah. Yeah. And it scales them good. Tell you right now, learn how to eat a bluegill. You save a lot of you. It'd be more filling for your belly once you learn how to not fillet them all. Be Eat. more nutritious than oh, rabbit yeah. too. Yeah, it will exactly get you along. What you got, Jim? Well, you know, backcountry hunters and anglers tonight will wrap up their uh, hike to hunt effort, and I've got over six hundred miles on foot and. 400 and some on the bike, another 10 or whatever, paddling. And it's the first time that I've ever really, really put forth that effort as a 50-year-old guy. And 
I'm telling you, man, the fitness, uh, it's a big deal. When I was just used to kind of stay in that shape as a younger fella. Um, so I didn't like the whole idea of getting in shape for hunting season kind of seemed like, what? Eh, age has a way of changing a little bit and you get a little softer. And I really didn't realize how soft I was kicking it up. But my, my tip is I don't really think you have to be in that great of shape to go deer hunting the way most of us do it because when you got plenty of time, you get your stands up, whatnot. If you drop one, let's face it, most of us aren't packing that thing out. But if you want to do anything other than hunt deer, being in shape, it's going to help. Whether you're busting through the woods for small game or, I mean, last year we went grouse hunting and I was not in shape. And I was hunting with a guy that was in shape, and I got to tell you, he was having a whole lot more fun humping the mountains than I was. <laughs> so, but this year, you know, I've dropped several pounds. I mean, I'm down 30-some-odd pounds, and um, I'm getting around I'm getting around a lot better than I used to. And I, I, you, when you're losing it, it happens so gradually that you don't miss it until all of a sudden it comes back. So really my tip of the week is for Either young guys are going to blow it off like I did, like, yeah, whatever, old man. It's coming for you, too. But more for the older fellas that, man, take a couple of months. You don't necessarily have to walk 600 miles in 60 days, but get out there walk two, three miles a day getting in hunting season. It's going to change your game. You know, let me go ahead before we close this out and thank all those people that donated money to make us walk because we have definitely come in in the top as the highest donor to the, the hike to hunt event and we will know tomorrow morning, which we should, if all plays out right, come in as the most miles walked and everything else. So top fundraiser, most miles walked, most miles paddled, most miles biked as a team. Oh, we got Jim to think for that because all of us walked and Jim paddled, biked, everything else. Yeah, I wasn't going to go there, but <laughs> I don't even own a bike, Jim. The truth of the matter is I should be four for four, except there's one fellow that's just, I don't want to disparage anybody, but when you tell me that you walked 570 miles in nine days, a 64-mile-a-day pace that has yet to be duplicated by the best thru-hikers and elite marathoners in the world, I'm going to raise a question. But, hey, I caught him anyway. But until next week, you guys can scroll down in the, the podcast description. You'll be able to find the podcast community under Pressure Outdoors, the group on Facebook. You better find us on Facebook. Give us a like and a follow and all that good stuff. Keep you up with up to date with those events we're having, like the pig roast and all that other stuff coming up here in the near future. And uh, that'll be it. If you leave us a five-star review and then send us a message to your address, we'll send you some stickers. That still stands. I still have a few stickers left. Nobody's got after it in a while. So until next week, Jay, thank you for joining us. And yeah, thank you. No problem, man. I, 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 super, I really enjoy coming in. It's, it's a lot of fun, man. We enjoy having you. Cool. Let me know. I'll come back next week. <laughs> we'll see y'all <laughs> later.